I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. Gentlemen, this is podcast two of the Trade Guys from home. It's good to hear your voices, if not see you in person. So there's a conflict about whether to listen to the doctors and stay quarantined or whether the United States should try to reopen quickly. The president is saying he really, he said yesterday in a town hall, he hopes that we can be open by Easter. What do you guys think? I think we're better off if he listens to the experts for once. Which experts? The economic experts are saying we got we to reopen. Well, not all of them. Larry Summers did a piece today where he said it would be a huge mistake to do that in economic terms, not in health terms. You know, just because you reopen doesn't mean the virus goes away. If anything, it means you're going to have more sick people. Uh, one of the economic problems is that demand is depressed. So just because you, you say we're going to start, you know, we're going to start airplane flights up again, that doesn't mean anybody's going to buy tickets. Uh, it doesn't mean anybody's going to go out and start eating, going out to restaurants and start eating. Uh, it doesn't mean they're going to start going to the movies. And you're going to have more sick people who aren't going to be able to go to work. I mean, it's, it's not like, it's again, light switch thing. It's not like you can just say, oh, okay, back to normal. And then everybody goes back to work. I would take a little different look. The president is stating an aspiration, but our starting point should be that the federal government or the president of the United States or his administration didn't close things in the first place. Almost all police powers are reserved for the states. What the federal government did was declare some guidelines. These were Dr. Fauci's and the NIH's guidelines uh, for self-quarantine. But it was a 15-day period, but strictly guidelines. Uh, the, you know, states have, have taken almost all the actions here. And I, I think the president is trying to balance uh, economic harm, which is, which is real, with the harm of, of this novel virus. Now, one of the things that's happening during the 15-day period that encourages me is we're getting new data every day. We're finally getting testing at a reasonable level, and we're putting together... Uh, now, what we had was from the WHO in the early days of the virus had a pretty frightening uh, fatality rate for this uh, for this particular virus. But but we also knew in that fatality rate there was a selection bias because the only way to confirm a case was to test on on somebody, and the testing was reserved for the very sick. And so we knew it. We were overstating it. We didn't know how much. But there's a lot more data coming in. And so what I'm seeing out of this is, first of all, the Surgeon General says that 90% of the tests that are being processed test negative. That's a good indication. Second, where you do have outbreaks, you have a couple things that are quite common. One of them is your outbreaks from community infection are happening in densely packed cities or in big events. So the one outlier to the densely packed cities is Louisiana. And the suspicion by the health officials is it was Mardi Gras. But what you have in New York and the, the major West Coast cities that have uh, community in, uh, infection uh, going on are, dense, are densely populated. What you have is a lot of the country where this is still quite, quite rare. I think you also have a rate of, of infection that is, is much higher than the rate of, of confirmed cases. And we just don't know that yet. So I think that a week from now, 
first of all, I think the president is telegraphing something that at some point we're going to reopen. So every business has got to have a safe reopening plan whenever that is. The second thing is, as we collect more data, it wouldn't surprise me to see that we will have we will have a federal system which has 50 different state plans. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised in my own state of Maryland if Governor Hogan has a plan for the urban areas, you know, Montgomery County, Rockville, um, Baltimore, and a different plan for the panhandle uh, because you have you have a different you're facing a different situation. So uh, so I actually think the federal system will help us here. Uh, but I think the, 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 I think that the president does ultimately have to rely on the health authorities and what we're learning from the data that comes in every day. Guys, one thing the administration doesn't seem conflicted about is that it continues to shrug off demands uh, from the outside, from Congress, from uh, the states, to use the Defense Production Act to centralize production of medical equipment. Um, state and local officials are calling for it. Members of Congress are calling for it. What's the hesitancy? Frankly, it's, I think it's philosophical. These are Republicans. These are conservative Republicans in the White House, maybe not the president, but the rest of them. Uh, and they don't like to see a situation where the government is ordering companies around. Uh, they seem to believe that they can achieve the same result uh, through voluntary action. I mean, we'll see. From the company standpoint, there, there's, uh, there's an, one important difference that hasn't been much mentioned, which is Utilizing the Defense Production Act gives companies a defense against lawsuits later on. If the government uh, directs you to supply it with your items, uh, that may force you to break a contract. But uh, it's like force majeure. If you break a contract because the government orders you to, uh, that's a good defense if the person, uh, the person who had the contract with you sues you. If you're engaging in this action voluntarily, you don't have that protection down the road. Uh, and I think it is, will make some companies uh, less anxious to cooperate simply because they're worried about their ability to protect themselves on the downside. We may find out exactly the importance of that. One of the projects that's going on now is to ramp up a sort of scale production of ventilators. There's a small ventilator company that doesn't that produces them to demand, which is much lower outside of coronavirus. General Motors is assisting them mostly with with how you scale something up for mass production. Because a lot of medical devices, frankly, aren't mass produced. They're much more handcrafted than you might suspect. Uh, but in any case, there. so GM is working on scaling up plans. GM may seek the kind of protection from liability that, or, or from lawsuit that Bill just mentioned and may ask the administration to invoke the Defense Production Act. But my sense is, and unless I'm just falling for the spin of, of companies, is that American companies are really stepping up here. If you look at the work of 3M, of essentially restarting domestic production of masks, and then uh, the, the express delivery companies, UPS and FedEx, making sure that the masks uh, that, are, that are in inventory get to the, the places of greatest need, which is you know clearly New York City and, and, the, and the, uh, the, the cities in the West Coast. So it looks to me like, like the, the administration is getting a high level of cooperation now. Uh, so my question is, is it what, what is actually to, to be gained by the Defense Production Act, which is active and can be, can be invoked when needed? Well, my, my favorite one is that Tito's Vodka and other distilleries are shifting to making hand sanitizers. So, you know, not to make light of this at all, but I, I definitely want the first, you know, batch of Tito's hand sanitizer. I mean, well, I think it, that it's, it's awesome. There turns out to be a recipe for hand sanitizer on the WHO homepage. 
Yeah. Uh, and the scarce item in the recipe is 96% alcohol by volume grain alcohol. Unless you're a distillery, you can't make high-proof alcohol. Right. That seems to be the magic ingredient. Lots of glycerin, uh, lots of uh, the other minor ingredients that go into it, like hydrogen peroxide. But but uh, these guys are pretty good at 96% alcohol, so good for them. You know, my friends in New Orleans should have no problem with that, too. I think a hurricane is pretty close to that uh, level of proof. Yeah, that's so. about 180 proof, isn't it? Something 180. Like that. Yeah, it's 180 proof. Yeah, it's very high yeah. potency. Yeah, you, you'd want to cut that a little bit. <laughs> it would kind of burn. <laughs> you know, back to this though. It speaks to, the Defense Production Act's one thing, but the U.S. is also facing mounting criticism for not taking action to stop the global rise of trade restrictive measures on medical equipment and devices. That's been spiking in the past few weeks. You know, what about that? Well, it's it's getting worse. We just saw today this is a letter from um, Congressman Doug Collins, who's running for the Senate in Georgia, which may have something to do with the letter, uh, urging the president to impose uh, export restrictions on, on U.S. medical equipment, which is exactly the wrong thing to do uh, at, at, at many levels. But uh, and it, it just shows the, the sort of every man for himself mentality that, that really makes makes everything worse. Uh, I think the administration thus far hasn't hasn't entirely given into that, uh, but they demonstrated no leadership at all globally. There's going to be a G20 uh, teleconference tomorrow or, or phone call tomorrow with the leaders. Uh, that was called by Saudi Arabia, um, which is not usually a global leader. They're the chairman this year, which is why it's their responsibility to call, but usually it's the U.S. that's out in front. Uh, you know, Matt Goodman uh, of the Simon Chair has reminded everybody in the last couple of days that during the, the the 2009 financial crisis, it really was U.S. leadership that produced a G20 commitment to uh, add five trillion dollars worth of stimulus to the global economy. You know, the United States leads and people follow, uh, and right now the United States is not leading, and it's going to be up to other people to. Uh, uh, to step up, uh, which I think is going to make uh, everything move more slowly. Bill's right. There's a definite need for leadership here. If you look in in the medical equipment and supplies area, there are 54 countries who have placed export restrictions on since January. So that's a problem. It's going to grow. Today, India, uh, who, who is a major manufacturer of uh, basically generic pharmaceuticals, uh, in fact, the Indian pharmaceutical companies are the drugstore for the world, if you think think about it. They're the supplier of drugstores all around the world. But uh, India has restricted the uh, the export of the uh, uh, the hydrochloroquine uh, anti-malarial drug that seems to be, that the French discovered, seems to be effective in treating the disease. They've, they want to hold on to their supply for uh, for their own internal uses. Now, other other nations and other companies are doing different things. I would note that Teva Pharmaceuticals, which is an Israeli company, uh, has donated a million doses of this uh, same the same anti-malarial drug. So it's not happening everywhere. But Bill is absolutely right about this. This this needs to be led because people will invoke their their right to of uh, of national secu- national security or health emergency and try to beggar that neighbor. This brings me, guys, to China. Peter Navarro and others in the administration have been calling um, the coronavirus, COVID-19, the Chinese Wuhan virus and other formulations of it. It's been antagonizing the Chinese. In turn, the Chinese have um, editorialized in their state-run media and given all kinds of statements about 
how, you know, why can't the two world's biggest powers get together to solve this crisis and this crisis and that the United States is, you know, using racism uh, against China in this instance. And, you know, why is that happening? And in the meantime, the administration has imposed tariffs on about five billion dollars worth of medical goods that are imports from China which account for about a quarter of all U.S. medical good imports. These tariffs are things that cover protective equipment like masks, gloves, and goggles, as well as you know, high-tech equipment like CT machines, ultrasounds, and X-ray devices. And the administration's decision to allow exceptions requests just hasn't happened yet. Why doesn't the administration just remove these tariffs on these products from China? You would think it'd be a straightforward uh, uh, decision to do that, to simplify matters and, and to, to ease the pressure on supply networks. Uh, but the administration simply doesn't see it that way. In many cases, there is a domestic defender of existing tariffs. Uh, there is a process for removing tariffs uh, that's managed by the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, but it's slow and cumbersome. And we needn't be sort of slavish to that in a situation where a lot of strain is already on these supply networks. Yeah. And Scott, this administration is always talking about cutting the red tape, you know, and making the deal and getting to the heart of the matter. Seems to me that if we need masks and we need gloves and we need things that China can deliver in short order, um, why aren't we simply doing it? Well, yes, and in, to that point, they are doing it domestically. In fact, one of the pieces of red tape that got cut is apparently there's a different standard for an industrial N95 mask and a FDA-approved hospital N95 mask. They're identical masks, just a different regulation. They basically waive that regulation. They're they're doing that in a lot of ways, which is which is quite useful. But they don't seem to see the connection between doing exact that that tariffs are another form of red tape that they could cut. I think they're making piecemeal progress. Uh, they've waived some tariffs on medical items already. They've created the new from China uh, from yes. everywhere from everywhere. Yes, that's right. And they've created a process in which people can come in and ask for more exclusions. And they've announced that they'll consider those on a rolling basis. They're making some progress. There's not a lot of leadership here. They are taking new requests. The apparently. The requests that have come in recently were not all that helpful in that, A, a lot of them were anonymous, uh, and a good number of them wanted uh, recommended keeping tariffs in place. You know, if you, go, if, if you go case by case, you don't get policy. You get sort of patchwork relief. And, you know, today's announcement, which reflects this, and it is a general one. You know, there's been this, this movement to eliminate all the tariffs, steel, aluminum, and the China tariffs. And we talked about this last week. This is coming entirely from people who were against them from the beginning uh, and have, uh, wanted to get rid of them from the beginning. But today, the administration has started to indicate that maybe they will consider, again, case by case, uh, suspending them for 90 days. Now, I don't think it's clear that that means that the payment goes away. It just means the, 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 the obligation accrues and you don't have to pay it for 90 days. Uh, which is way less than what these what the lobbyists are demanding. But again, it's piecemeal, which is, you know, what the president likes because it gives him all the decision-making authority, and he can go one by one. But that guarantees slowness, which Scott has noted, uh, and it guarantees no clear policy. But more than 50 governments around the world have imposed export restrictions on medical equipment and other goods since the beginning of the year. And these measures are restricting the flow of these goods around the world at a time when, you know, many nations, U.S. included, are facing, you know, real shortages. So, so far, 
you know, Washington's had little to say about it. Well, that's what worries me. I mean, this is, again, the leadership issue. We ought to be out there with the G20. I hope the president will do this tomorrow. We should be out there leading, urging other countries to commit not to do that and commit to keep their markets open. Yeah, the, the best way to do this is to work together. And that's very difficult to, to see that as the first best option in these times, but, but it actually is. So, uh, but it does take leadership. It does take, it's going to take leaders of uh, Europe and the United States to basically try to preserve access for needed equipment to the world that doesn't make these. With Latin America and Africa, there's almost, almost everything they have in the medical supplies arena is imported to their markets. So, so, uh, th- this is a much bigger, in many ways, a much bigger problem for, for Latin American and African economies than it is for the United States or Europe, who, who can scale up and catch up with, with demand and may have a lot of stocks in place. Bill's absolutely right. It does need to be led. And these kinds of things, this is where the United States is somewhat indispensable. There's also an economic lesson here, too. You know, when you mess with the market, odd things happen. If you're going to do export restrictions, guaranteed, that's going to leave you with too much stuff in some places and not enough stuff in other places. And so you've got uh, price suppression in some places and price gouging in other places. I mean, I don't understand why that's better for everybody. Hopefully that's going to change, right? We'll see. We at least have not contributed to that part of the problem yet, but we have not led. Tomorrow's uh, G20 call will be interesting to see if we step up uh, and what they decide to do. I mean, part of the discussion, I think, will be about global economic stimulus, as it was 11 years ago. But I hope they'll also tackle the, uh, the protectionism argument. And what the G20 committed to 11 years ago also was not to undertake new protectionist actions. Now, that wasn't 100% obeyed. But uh, it was an important statement from the G20 that I think the WTO would say, well, it did say a year or two later, had a positive impact. Countries did not do things that they might otherwise have done because of G20 leadership. It'd be nice to see that again. So from a trade standpoint, though, forgetting about the medical devices and, and goods, what are we doing and what are we willing to do? What, are we, what does this administration seem to be willing to do? to, from a trade standpoint, to cushion uh, the impacts of uh, pending global recession? Nothing directly that I've seen. It looks to me like they're focused on the domestic economy. That's important. The Senate is likely to pass the bill today, and the president will quickly sign it, that is essentially a helicopter drop of cash to the American people, which will drive some demand for both imported and, and domestic products and services. So, But nothing. I don't think there's anything directly related to to trade or the international economy that has at least been part of their plans. It's been a domestic focus all the way along, which is not unusual. The first thing you do is you worry about yourself. But uh, it's a global problem, and we really need to uh, worry about everybody. That begs the question. I mean, do we need to be worrying about everybody right now? How much time do we need to be spending worrying about everybody? Because if we don't worry about everybody, how is that going to come back and hurt us? Well, I think the most important thing is probably being done by our our health agencies, CDC and NIH. We now have a lot, a lot of cases in the United States, and we're collecting massive amounts of test data every day. And and so our data collection and computation of assets are pretty substantial at both CDC and NIH. And I believe that sharing what we are learning about the progress of the disease 
uh, will be important to the many of the economies in the world that are, that are not at the stage we are or are fighting this and 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 looking for looking for what actually works. Our agencies are contributing to this, even though it's not in the headlines. The president doesn't talk about it in, at the at the daily press conference. Um, I'm sure it's happening, gentlemen. As always, thank you for your insights. Um, we will continue to talk about this, uh, and we will be back with more from the trade guys next week. Back from the Bethesda bunker, right? Exactly, Bethesda bunker. All three of us are in the Bethesda bunker as yes. we speak. Yes, let's uh, let's hope they don't drop the big one on Bethesda because otherwise that, that would end the podcast. <laughs> so. Man, let me tell you. There you go. We can't have that. We're approaching. We're actually approaching our hundredth podcast. So we wow. got to keep going strong. Wow. To be continued. Be safe out there, everybody, and be well. See you next week. To our listeners, if you have a question for the trade guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the trade guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, trade guys. Thanks, Thank you. You've been listening to the Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.